So this morning, I uh, encourage you to open up to Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Um, and this morning, um, I have what I hope is a very simple message to bring to you this morning, um, something to kind of round out our Thanksgiving season, um, where we're actually going to go through Jonah chapter 2 and just kind of read through the prayer that Jonah gives us in there um, in, in a very difficult situation. Before we get into the book of Jonah too much, um, just a couple of things about Jonah. It's, it is such a fascinating book that we have here in the Old Testament. Um, when you consider the book of Jonah, it's, it's actually part of what we call the, the minor prophets uh, or the lesser known prophets. Um, there's, there's 13 of them, and it's very fascinating when you look at Jonah and how that book is constructed. As you look at it, it's, it's narrative. We get a story about the prophet. Every other book that we read from these minor prophets, when you look at them, they look completely different, don't they? Flip one page back, one page forward, and it's all Hebrew poetry. And it's, it's all a word that the prophet is bringing to the people. Um, in fact, that's, that's what the prophets are meant to do. They are messengers from God. They come to bring a word of the Lord to his people. So Jonah stands out in that it's not a, really about the message, but it's really a story about this interaction between Jonah and, and God himself. The book is, um, so one of the things that get lost in the translations is just um, how satirical the book can get. It's supposed to make you kind of laugh a little bit. It's supposed to be kind of like a big fish story. I'm not speaking whether or not to the, the authenticity of it, but just the, the, the literary tools that we see being used in there, it's meant to be a big fish story. In fact, there's a big fish in the big fish story. The guy is just like trying to run away and he gets thrown off a boat and then ends up inside a fish. And, and we see all these kinds of satirical things that happen throughout the book. It's meant to be big imagery, um, over-the-top language. Like how big is Nineveh? It's so big that you've got to walk like 40 days to get around it. It takes like you know forever just to get through that particular city. Um, even the book starts off in a way that's supposed to make you laugh. Um, but again, we lose it. Um, Jonah, if you're to translate that into the Hebrew, is the word that means dove. And he's the son of Amittai, as you see there in verse 1, um, whose name means faithful or truth. And so the book starts off where dove, son of faithful, runs away from God. It's meant to kind of like make you go like, oh man, that guy, what's going on here? It's just like, again, it's supposed to be very, like, it's supposed to make you laugh almost when you read through this. We read through in the beginning of Jonah, and this is kind of our setup for, for where we'll start digging into chapter 2 in the, the prayer. We read that Jonah flees from God because God has asked him to go bring a message to what is considered the enemy of Israel. Um, the city of Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire in this historical context, are direct enemies to Israel. And Jonah is called to go cross the land and go preach a word to them, a, a word of repentance to those people. 
And so in response to that, we read that he starts going away from God. There's this imagery of, of God being up on the mountain. And what does Jonah do? He goes down to Joppa. He goes down onto a ship. And then even on that ship, he goes down to the bottom of the ship to go do what? Take a nap. And then if, if he thought he couldn't get any further down, the storm comes. It just freaks out the sailors. Now, just think for a second, what kind of storm do you have to have where people whose profession is to be sailing on that waters, to be so afraid of what's happening and so freaked out by the storm that they figure out that it's this guy to blame and they throw him overboard. And then what is their response? They become believers in God. What kind of a storm are we talking about where it makes you really seek out your Savior and your Creator, right? And so then we read that Jonah is then going down, 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 further and further away from the Lord. When we get to chapter 2, we find that Jonah is now just, just um, going down into the, the waters. And we read right there in, in the very last verse of chapter 1 that the Lord provides a fish to swell Jonah. And now Jonah is, is trapped inside of this fish, enclosed. Here's a guy that was fleeing the Lord, and in front of him was open waters and nothing but what appeared to be just open seas. And now he is trapped, he is enclosed inside this fish, and he finds himself in, an, in just an enclosed area. The image here of, of being in this fish, it's, it's meant to kind of help us process through, um, through suffering through being in pain. Um, it's meant to help us think of confusion and all these, these feelings of just being um, far from God and, and alone and confused. And then in that moment, Jonah begins to pray as he does in chapter 2. Now, what's interesting about this particular prayer is that this is a mess of Jonah's own making. He is in this fish because of the things that he did, the mistakes that he made, and for his choices for running away from God and doing the exact opposite of what he was called to do. And so what we see here in chapter 2 is, is how he kind of prays through that confusion, how he prays through that suffering. And what I would invite you to do is to kind of think through this chapter in the same way. When we are in moments of, of deep confusion, when we are in moments where it feels like God is nowhere to be found in our lives, praying through this as Jonah does, I think is helpful for us to process that situation and process the emotions. And so read here through chapter 2 as we kind of think through um, how this prayer helps us to kind of move through those emotions and that suffering and, and come out on the other side with um, what I want to show you is with gratitude. So, Jonah 2, verses 1 through 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, or some of your translations might have Sheol, which is um, really just the Hebrew word for the grave. 
Um, it's what they imagine being below the earth. It's the grave. It's the realm of the dead. In my great distress, I called the Lord. He answered me. And from the depth of the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened. Now, right here in the very beginning, we see that Jonah is calling out for help. Um, and, and he's really in a situation where he has no resources available to him. He has nothing to help him, nothing to get him out of this mess. And he here begins to call out to the Lord. And what is interesting in here, in the darkest moments of Jonah's life, he is calling out to the Lord and he is answering him. Now, this is a very interesting situation because this is upside down from how we usually feel, right? When we're in our darkest moments, when we feel that we're in moments of suffering and confusion, do we usually think that God is there with us? Usually our response is, and this is not just us, but maybe the psalmist too, when they are in their confusion and when they are suffering, their response is, God must be far from me. But Jonah, he sees the exact opposite. And he is in the belly of the fish. And he is in this confusion and in this darkness. And God is right there. God is right there with him. And he's calling out to him. And he is seeing that God is answering him. In verse 3, you hurled me into the depths and into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me in all your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, let's kind of unpack this verse real quick. In Jonah chapter 1, who threw Jonah over the boat and into the water? The sailors, right? It was the sailors who took Jonah and figured out, that's the guy, get that guy out of here. And they threw him down to the water and got gobbled up by a fish. If you were to ask Jonah in this prayer, who is actually the one that he says threw him into the water? See, he looks at this situation and he says, no, 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 it wasn't the sailors that put me into this place. It was God that threw me over, and God that put me into this, this belly of the fish. Now, I want to acknowledge that um, for, for some people, this is kind of hard to hear, right? Apparently, when I am doing the wrong thing and not following God like I should be, apparently, this verse says, that God will do something like this to get my attention. And God will throw me into the water and God will throw me into what is a bad situation into an even worse situation and, and begin to, to cause me even more confusion, more suffering. And, and that's hard to hear for some of us as, as Christ followers. Um, one of the things that is really important for us to understand is, is just who we are as people and how we make terrible captains of our own ships, I think. When we are left to our own devices, we make the, the, the selfish choice, we look inwards to ourselves. we don't look at the things that God is seeing, and, and we just look at what Jonah's doing here. 
He's trying to, to avoid God. He's trying to sail in the opposite direction. He's trying to, he's going on open seas and he's doing what he thinks is actually the best situation for what's going on here, right? He's looking at potentially preaching this word to Nineveh and he wants to actually help God out with the situation and be like, no, this is actually what you want me to do. You want me to just go opposite direction. You want the Ninevites to just be steeped into their sin and we just want to blot them out. And see, Jonah is being dealt with on in one of the one of the coolest books I've ever read is this one book called uh, Severe Mercy by Sheldon uh, Van Elken. Um, in this book, he kind of describes um, the situation with his wife dying from cancer and these correspondence he has with C.S. Lewis and how he just kind of comes to this place of recognizing that in these terrible moments, in these awful situations, um, God sometimes allows those situations to come to our lives to help rescue us and to help redeem us. Because you see, what is God's highest priority for your life? What is God's highest priority for you? See, for some of us, we think that God's highest priority for us is for him to bless us, to give a safe passage, maybe to Tarshish or some other place. Um, We expect God's highest priority to give us comfort on the way there, make it easy to help secure us financially. And we pray for these things. We ask God to bless these things. Um, but that, that can be further from the truth. You see, God's highest priority for us is to shape us and to make us into the image of God. His highest priority is, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, is to conform us to the image of God. Parents get this, I think, probably better than anyone else, right? Um, parents, I always really think, parents get God probably better than most people because of just, like, the things that God does, like, we just get it, right? Like, parents, is our highest goal is to get our kids to the end of the day just happy and uh, satisfied and all their desires being met? No. That's, that's terrible, actually. That's a really bad idea. If we spend our entire day just just doing all the things our kids want us to do, if we bless all of their foolishness, if we do all the things that they want to do and not the right thing, um, that's how you arrive at a place where your, your child has had ice cream for three meals, they've been sitting in front of screens for the entire day, um, and they're very, very mean to you and saying very um, unchristlike things, which is hard to believe for my children, but even my children um, suffer from sinfulness, apparently. And, and for you as a parent, you know that what your highest goal is, is to shape your little one's heart, to be followers of God and to follow his word and to be obedient to the things that God has placed into his word. And in this passage, it's the same exact thing. Jonah is doing the absolute wrong thing. And he's setting sail for a, a completely different land. And, and, and understand that, that God is not responsible for the situation that Jonah finds himself in. But God will use every situation redemptively to shape him and to restore Jonah. And God does the same thing for you and I. God's highest goal, his highest priority is to shape you and to use every situation that comes into your life 
to shape you into the image of Christ. And so that's why I think when we read in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, Jonah is recognizing that it's actually God that has put me into this situation. And he recognizes that God has put him here so that he can begin to redemptively work in his life and start to restore Jonah and to, to put him into, um, into the right spot in his life. When you think through that story of Jonah, if Jonah was blessed and his decision to just go out west to Tarshish and to flee God, um, the story becomes very boring. And that's what we have to remember, is that when we submit to God and we allow him to work redemptively into our lives, God will shape us and he will transform us, and amazing things can happen like we see here in Jonah. Continue on in verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me, and seaweed wrapped around my head. Into the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred in me, me in forever. And so again, we see this image that, that he continuously goes down further and further. He's going down, um, away from God, away from his mission, away from his purpose. Um, again, in, in the Hebrew mind, um, the Lord is up top on a mountain. He is up. And so to go down is to go away from the Lord. And he recognizes he's going down. He's going down further, deeper into the waters. And um, in verse 5, the, the, the waters threatened me. And one of my favorite images in this whole scripture, seaweed wrapped around my head. Just a seaweed hat just kind of wrapped around his head as he's sitting there in the, the whale just, or the fish, just going down, down, down. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountain I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And so in verse 6, he is continually going down. But then, from his, his deepest moment, he looks up, and he starts to have this, this, this ah-duh moment, and he starts to see God is probably the right answer here, right? It's like a, a, uh, a forehead on the, or a slap in the forehead type moment where he recognizes that, that um, the, the most important thing in his life that he should be doing is not going away from the Lord, but to be going towards him. And to return to him. Um, this right here is what we understand that that severe mercy is meant to create inside of us. The severe mercy that God is giving Jonah by putting him further down, bringing him into more confusion, letting his suffering just overtake him, it arrives at a point finally here in verse 6 where he kind of recognizes, oh my goodness. God is here with me. God is all around me. And I look towards him again. He, he's looking away from God through all this prayer, and finally he begins to take a turn and to return his eyes back to God. This is a moment in the prayer that I think for a lot of us we long to see in family members, in people around us, 
in people who are, are fleeing from God for whatever reason. And some of the hard things that we have in our life is, is prayers that go unanswered because people have not turned their eyes away from whatever direction they're sailing in, but to begin to look back towards God's holy temple. And, and it's hard, and that's a moment that you just have to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of continuously work in them in prayer and, and petition of the Lord that they would turn around. But here in Jonah, there is that moment when he is at his, his darkest moment at the, the, the depths. He begins to turn and look towards the Lord and recognize that the Lord is there with him and he's there to, to rescue him from the situation and to bring him up from the pit. In verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. This is a phrase that you see a lot in Scripture, a, a return to just remembering who God is, the, the kind of person that he is in our life, the, the, the God that is present, ever-present in your life, there to minister to you, to rescue you, to, to redeem you. We read here, a remembering of those things. And then what does it say is, my prayer rose to you and then to your holy temple. Now, think about that phrase for a second. Your holy temple. Um, to the Jewish people, what is the holy temple? It's kind of like the, the hot spot of where God dwells and where God lives, Right? It's there in the holy temple where God is just found in, in his, his fullness and in his glory. And we look towards, he, Jonah begins to look towards that holy temple and because that is where God lives. Now, for Christians, where is that hot spot that we look towards for where God dwells and where God lives fully? It's in Christ, right? Here, Jonah is reorienting his life towards the hot spot of where God lives. And then Jonah begins to do that. He begins to orient himself towards um, that hot spot. And for us, it's the same exact thing. We want to begin to look towards Jesus and to begin looking towards him for what is valuable and what's important to my life. Um, one of the things that's amazing about Jonah's prayer is that even as he sinks down further into the depths, sinks down further into his own confusion and his suffering, he begins to look around, and in the belly of the beast with a seaweed turban, he begins to contemplate God. He begins to look towards the Lord. He begins to look towards all the things that he does have. In Jonah's darkest moment, when he has nothing but a seaweed hat, he begins to look towards what he does have, and that is God. Christians, it is the same thing with us, that when we are in these moments of darkest despair, we do not lose sight of what we do have. We do not lose sight of Christ. We do not look sight of all the things that, that God has brought into our lives. One of the things I think is very difficult about the Thanksgiving season is just the way we talk and the language we use, right? In Thanksgiving time, um, what are we celebrating, right? We go around the table and we talk about the things that we have, the blessings that we do have, 
the things that God has given us, right? The things that we get to enjoy. What if you're in a season like Jonah, when you find yourself in the belly of a fish, in darkness and confusion and in suffering, if you look towards the things that God has put into your life and the blessings that you have around you, um, Thanksgiving could be tough, right? It could be tough to live with gratitude. Jonah shows us, though, that despite being in the worst possible situation, as far down as possible, he looks around and he says, actually, I don't have nothing. I am not without anything. I still have God. And it's the same thing for you, Christian, that despite all the circumstances going on in your life, the things that are happening to you, all the, the whatever it's financial, relational, health, you still have Christ in your life. One of the things I think Christians often get mixed up about is, is just where we're going in this life and where we're heading, right? Revelation, when you read about what we're doing in the end of time, right, and about what we're actually going to be doing for all eternity, um, I think for some of us, that looks really strange if we don't quite understand where this is all going, right? We look at that and we see this image that John has of all of us just floating around God, this throne, rotating around and just worshiping him and singing praises to him for all of eternity. Now that looks really strange, right? If we're oriented in such a way where um, the things that I'm blessed with and being blessed is anything outside of God. But scriptures teaches us something completely different that the thing that, that is the great prize of our life, the thing that we pursue, the thing that we desire, the thing that we want in our lives is God. Dave's been taking us through this scripture series, Focal Point. And hopefully I'm not ruining this by telling you this, but um, the, the story of the Bible is the story of what? It's the story of coming back to God. It's the story of homecoming. We read in Genesis 3 that we get kicked out of the garden. And then what's everything after that? Trying to get back to God. Why? It's because God is our great treasure. God is our great prize. And just like Jonah, he realizes when it looks like I've lost everything, when it looks like I have nothing left, he looks around and says, actually, I have everything I need. I have God himself. And he begins to orient his life towards the holy temple. And for Christians, we begin to orient ourselves towards Christ. Scripture says this plainly, doesn't it? Scripture helps us understand this very clearly. We read here in uh, Philippians 3, But whatever were gains to me, now I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What is the great treasure that Paul is looking for? What is the thing that he says that if I lose all these things but gain Christ, I still gain everything, right? Ephesians 1.3, praise 
be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in who? In Christ. Every spiritual blessing is found in Christ. Think about Acts 16, right? I won't have this up here, but in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are in prison, right, and all their rights are stripped away and they're in chains, um, what do those two dudes start doing? It starts singing. Now, I don't know if there was a lack of oxygen in prison. I don't know if they're like having some issues, but that's a very strange thing to do, right? Usually, when you're in jail, our response is, let's sing a song, because this is great. But to Paul and Silas, even in jail, even in chains, they have confidence, they have joy, they have peace. Because who can the Romans not take away from them? What can life's circumstances not take away from you? That is you being found in Christ. See, when our identity is found more and more in Christ, that's how you get to a place where regardless of what is going on in your life, you can have confidence in who you are and you can have joy. Because despite what the RGE bill looks like, despite the lovely people that you had Thanksgiving with this past Thursday. They're all lovely, I'm sure. Um, Despite the situation you find yourself in, you still have joy. You still have peace because you have Christ. And when you get to that point, that's how you can begin to live with gratitude. Look how Jonah chapter 2 ends. Verse 8 and 9. This looks very odd if you don't look at this scripture in light of understanding that that our blessings and our great treasure is God. Because when Jonah realizes that everything in my life that is worth anything is God himself, what is his response to that revelation in verse 8 and 9? He begins to talk about what? Idols. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love from them. It's a very strange, almost like feels like an out of place verse when you see him. Why? He's in a fish. He's got a seaweed turban. He probably smells a little weird, but he's sitting there talking about idols. But that makes perfect sense when you start to look at this through the lens of that Jonah at his darkest moment Um, when he thinks he has nothing, realizes that he has God, he has Christ. That right there causes him to recognize those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from the love that God has for them. Then he ends with a a shout of praise. Um, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then in verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. A beautiful end to the the prayer, no doubt. So, how is this the word of God to you? I, I don't know what's going on in your life. 
And I don't know what kind of Thanksgiving you had. And I don't know if you had that same moment that I described when you sit there and reflect upon what you should be grateful for and what you should have gratitudes for if you came up empty. Thanksgiving, for some of us, is a blessing. And, and just to be clear, um, if you are blessed with things in your life and family and health and relationships, that, that is a wonderful thing. Um, and this is not to say we disregarding those blessings. But it does say that if you find yourself in a moment where, where you feel like you're a disappointment or everyone's disappointing you, if you find yourself in a moment where you're struggling either financially, um, you find yourself struggling in your professional life, you find yourself just struggling relationally with the folks around you. If you find yourself, even if you're in a place where you just look around you in the world that we live in, and, and it's hard for you to have gratitude, those right there, my friends, are, are clear indicators to me that you have grounded yourself in things outside of God. And you've begun to ground yourself in things outside of Christ. For the Christian, we look towards Christ for our value, our worth, and for our joy and our peace in this life. And the more you look towards Christ as being your source of, of confidence in who you are and your value, the more your prayer begins to look like Jonah. When even when you find yourself down, down, down to the darkest depths and suffering and confusion, when you find yourself in that belly of the fish, your response is still a prayer of, of gratefulness, of joy in Christ who has died for you on the cross and has rescued you from your sins. You have that great treasure no matter what is going on in your life. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for just this awesome message. Lord, thank you just for, for your word. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see, even in moments of darkness, even in moments of extreme confusion and suffering, Lord, I would just pray that you would help give us the eyes to see you, Lord, and your blessings and your presence in our life. Lord, we just pray that even when we're in, in a season of hurt and pain, Lord, we can still have joy and, and confidence because you are in our lives, Lord, leading us and guiding us through every step. Lord, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.